Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast Thursday edition. We are picking up part two of our series over the greatest sermon ever told. At least that's what we're calling it. Uh, Jesus. Greatest sermon ever told. Greatest, period, after every one of those words. Uh, We have titled that because we're talking about this message that Jesus gave. It's recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Most Bibles will have it translated, or you'll see a heading that says the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I believe, Russell, in Luke's Gospel, it is, you told us last week, it's the the Sermon on the Plain. Sermon on the Plain. There you go. And so, and that's uh, P-L-A-I-N. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, not an airplane. <laughs> uh, well, Test, so testing my awareness this morning. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just making sure you're ready to go. So uh, we have been, or we started last week talking about this. It starts out with this idea called these Beatitudes. And we talked about like my lame definition of the of the attitude to be, that you have to be this attitude. But that's actually wrong. That's actually not really the way we wanted to look at it. We want to look at it through this idea of Beatitudes, this word. I think it's a Latin maybe origin that is about blessing. And so it, instead of uh, us striving for this attitude or this disposition that is described, that, that Jesus is describing, more so it's about the idea that you can be blessed or there are blessings available to you there's hope available to you when you find yourself in this position and and in general russell I, it's like he's a, he's really announcing the kingdom it's the beginning of of the kingdom coming that he's telling us about kingdom inauguration speech whoa yeah best sermon ever <laughs> That's Kingdom inauguration, <laughs> best sermon ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like the what's the uh, presidential uh, like the inaugural address or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. That's his. That's this is his inaugural address of the kingdom coming. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then you know you go forward, you see the some people call it the upside down kingdom, but just the the differences that you see in like how our world works, and so it's like not often are the meek the ones that are celebrated. Yep. Mourners, you know, we don't talk about that. It's like, don't talk about being sad. Just talk about the silver lining and move past it and, you know, whatnot. Exactly. So last week we went through the first six. You can find that in this podcast feed. We will continue on with the rest of the Beatitudes this week and pick back up next week, uh, starting with salt and light. And we want to walk through just the different points that Jesus tells because you know what? You know what we're better at as pastors than, than anything else? Taking three or four verses and spending 30 minutes on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even. Yeah. I love it. That's pretty much what we're paid to do, you know? So, um, as <laughs> you hear the voice with me, this is a uh, lead pastor of mission city, Russell Schultz. I haven't given you an introduction yet, man. What's up? How you doing? Doing all right. Just, uh, excited about, uh, today. Yeah. Uh, are you excited about tomorrow? Do you know what's happening tomorrow? You want me to remind you? Mm, uh, what is tomorrow? Friday. Tomorrow's Friday, and there will be a uh, a gathering of some some guys to play some basketball, basketball. game. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to do that or not. I'm gonna try to come. I might have Maisie with me, but uh, I think right. Cassie has to work, so I'll be. Uh, if I'm lucky, maybe get a game in or two. There you go. To show my rebounding abilities and my lack of fitness. Yeah. How would you? Uh, how 
aside from what you just said, how would you describe? Maybe use a player player comp for uh, Russell Schultz's pickup uh, NBA, game? NBA player comp. Uh, whichever guy just sits on the bench and adds wisdom to the team. Okay. <laughs> Udonis Chris Haslam. Paul in the playoffs. Udonis Haslam, yeah. <laughs> Going to get injured early. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, if I was taller, I could be a, a very bad Jokic. <laughs> okay. Wow. No athletic ability. Uh, when, I'm, when I used to play a lot, every, all my, every ugly shot just finds softness on the rim and backboard and just somehow drops. There you go. And uh, your six-two frame for the average uh, yeah. basketball player is like you being seven foot in the NBA. Yeah, it smacks somebody around a little bit. See over everyone. And yeah, yeah. When I'm playing with everyone shorter than me, so <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, we're looking forward to that. We also, if you uh, check this out, June 13th, we are going to have a churchwide community group at the park at at Hickory Hills. Uh, it's in uh, Merriam, uh, so invite you to come check that out from six to eight uh we're inviting our, our whole church to come out we're going to be grilling some food playing some games there's some basketball courts tennis courts whole nine yards so uh, we'd love to have you out uh june 13th 2023 should be you know make sure that we say that just in case in 2024 you're listening to this or something like that but Good point. Uh, We'll be doing that. And so uh, let's pick back up on our Beatitudes in this greatest sermon ever told. We've been through the first uh, six verses so far, ending last week with uh, thirsting for hunger and righteousness. And this week we want to pick back up with number seven, or verse seven. It says, Blessed are, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. Now, we talked a little bit last week about this idea, this uh, word blessed is in uh, the Bible.org defines it this way, which I appreciate, the spiritual attitude and state of people who are right with God. So those mm-hmm. who are right with God have a spiritual attitude of showing mercy and receiving mercy, which I think lines up pretty pretty well with how we view Jesus' teachings outside of just this sermon and uh, God in general. But uh, Russell, how do you see this idea of give and take when it comes to mercy. I think uh, for some reason for me, when I, when I read this, there's like a chicken and egg complex. Really? Well, just like, I think we have a, we have a more like uh, eye for an eye, tit for tat, do good. Or like, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like a points keeping kind of way of relationships. Oh yeah. So you show me mercy, I show you mercy, but somebody along the way has to show mercy first in order to get the cycle going. Yep. So like in our relationships, do we typically show mercy first and then receive mercy? Do we receive mercy then show mercy? I don't. I don't know. Chicken or egg? Which which comes first? Yeah, I think this is more about like just be a person of mercy and like you'll find mercy from the living from the living god kind of thing uh, i don't know if it's necessarily it could be i guess related inner inner relationships between humans but i think it's more about like how the kingdom of god works like don't worry about like whatever whatever else everyone else is doing like even in this life like you you can be the most merciful person in the world and you might not receive mercy from anybody but god in heaven will give you mercy he's going to care for you. he's going to take care of you I think oh. that's what I, how I think about it, as opposed to maybe kind of like the tick for tack game that you're talking about, which is like, uh, uh, yeah, so just kind of common agreement, if you will, or uh, I guess responsive mercy. You know, is that is mercy? Is responsive mercy actually mercy? Hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I guess it could be. I guess because it, it, it's if it's less than what is demanded or what what should like be given punishment wise, punitive wise, but. Um, yeah, I think it's more about like how the father is gonna 
be merciful with you. And so knowing that, like, I don't need to worry about, I just don't need to worry about what I receive or I, I, I just can have this state of mercy. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense because I don't, I don't know. You're kind of enlightening me here. Like I feel dumb for not thinking about this before, but like just this idea that, um, it kind of flows throughout the Beatitudes, right? So here's a, a disposition or a sense of feeling that might be viewed as negative or you might feel hopeless, you might feel lost. It's a hopeless feeling when you show mercy to someone else and then they turn around and stab you in the back. Or you show you feel like you are a merciful person and you just keep getting taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're enlightening me to with that idea is that this is not a, hey, you're blessed or blessings are coming to you who are merciful because someone eventually in this life you're going to receive mercy from someone or someone's finally going to be merciful to you, but that God has mercy on you. And that ultimately, like, whether you ever receive mercy from someone else or just experience mercy in this world, in this life, is not really what he's really referring to. It's more so in general, like, if you're a merciful person, God's going to be merciful to you. Yeah, and I, I think you, where you have to be careful with that is it, it's it, with anything, right? Like this week, I'm working on a sermon talking about God wants to bless you, which is true. Like God wants to bless you, but it's not. It's not always this. Um, it's not as simply as like A plus B equals C type of thing. But we do know, like if you're God's people, He's going to show mercy to you. If you're God's, if if you are a person of God, like he's going to bless you. He wants to do those things because he's later talks in the, in the gospels. He talks about, he's a good father. He wants to do those things to you. So I think the only, every now and then I get nervous about saying like, Hey, God wants to bless you. And I don't want to sound too, um, prosperity gospel, but it's like, but if I don't say it, then that's untrue too. So it's like, God wants to be merciful to you. He is merciful to you. I don't want to give you margin just to go and go sin or go do whatever you want to do. But it's just those, I feel like you almost have to always clarify um, with this. But in in general though, like if this is talking about the kingdom, right? Like the kingdom is about people who are merciful. Like uh, James is uh, is tied to this verse. It talks about how mercy triumphs over judgment. How there's this, this, a God who in heaven who knows where we mess up is wants desires to be merciful to us and wants to create a people of grace and mercy. And so I think that's the, the tenet of the kingdom or uh, of the inauguration speech is mercy. Like, are you a merciful person or are you, uh, you know, uh, what, what would be the opposite of that? A, a, like, uh, I imagine, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge for some reason, like, right. you know what right. I mean? Like just yeah. every little, you know, yeah, you hold grudges, you're resentful, you, right? Yeah, you don't love Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, tiny Tim. <laughs> uh, well, no, I think uh, so. You're definitely, yeah. I think bringing it back to the idea of what this is, what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom is built on mercy, people being merciful, being shown mercy. That's that's the idea here. Uh, I think we talked about last week. Just the idea that Jesus is this—he's not just this master of, you know, all things spiritual, whatever. But also, like, we don't often consider he's a master of the Old Testament as well. And many of these ideas come from Old Testament teachings that God has already passed down to His people. And so, there's this quote in Hosea chapter six, verse six, that says, "For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings." And oh, well. Yeah, and so Jesus is pulling, again, from teaching from the Old Testament, saying, 
the, like this is what God desires. God desires mercy. And when you show mercy, then you are a member. You are showing your citizenship of being a part of this kingdom, and you will be shown mercy as well because that's the general principle that we operate under in this kingdom is by showing mercy to each other. Yeah. No, that's good. All right, picking up with the next one, says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, Russell, I struggle with this one just because I think this idea of the heart in Christianity is in some ways a controversial one, or there's just tension there. Like we see different teachings about what the heart is or what it does, right? Like the heart is wicked above all things, but if you're pure of heart in this teaching, then you will see God. Now, also in line with that, no one gets to see God, right? So there's a lot going on here. There is a lot going on here. I think because, you know, you think about passages that talk about the heart being evil. Um, I want to see what the message says here because I like to, I think, for the bad Beatitudes, I think Eugene is a is a helpful friend. Eugenius? Uh, you, whoa. I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, but he is, he's, a bright, uh, he's a bright young man. So he says, Are, you were blessed when you get your your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Ah, interesting. Almost like our other de- definition of like the, the state of people who are right with God. Right, with, yeah. yeah. Huh. Uh, I think this, last, this actually is actually bringing to light for me uh, this passage that I just preached on this last weekend. That oh, there's oh, yeah? the, the purifying fire. Right, like so, yeah, yeah. So Jesus or uh, God is proclaiming to the people in Malachi that He will purify the sons of Levi, the priests, that they will be uh, sent through this process, like a refiner's fire, like gold and silver is, and this idea that like <laughs> they will be pure in heart and they will see God. Um, I think I think is drawing kind of in that in that same principle, and that Jesus is the purifier. Because when we put our faith in him, we are seen as pure and holy. And so to be pure in heart is to put our faith in Jesus. To put our faith in Jesus ultimately means that we get to dwell with God. It, bingo, bango, bongo. We <laughs> have solved the riddle. I do think, though, when you think about it, like, so you can get into that kind of the theology of, you know, we're born sinful and we need Jesus to come and to um, to make us new and to make us right and to take our old self into our old heart, if you will, and to give us a new heart, which kind of gives uh, imagery to um, uh, the, the vision in Ezekiel with the dry bones, I think is what it is, or there's the, uh, there's other times where he talks about just taking uh, your heart of stone and turning into a heart of flesh. I think these things come to mind when I think about the, the, the pure heart, and and we need God to change that in us. But when we when we have had that change, like there's an opportunity to see God the way that we're supposed to, and a, a lot of it is too is a lot of, we would see the world and we would see God through the lens of the Beatitudes, um, and so I think I think it's a really cool thing. It's just you know, do you have a pure heart? Uh, are you seeing God? I think you can do it. I think you can ask either of those questions. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, we go, you know, the only way I can have a pure heart is through, you know, the blood uh, or the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then that allows me from his mercy to actually see him uh, and see the world, uh, how God has called me to, to live. Yeah, exactly. I love the way that you summarize that. I'll add some scripture references here just to kind of maybe crystallize it for the audience. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of thoughts of his heart were, evil, on, uh, were only evil continuously. 
Uh, and then in Exodus 33, uh, he's having this conversation with Moses. Moses says, uh, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So it requires us to pass through the fire of the refinement to uh, have our hearts purified because in our original state, as you mentioned, like we have, uh, as the scripture passage mentions, we have only evil in our hearts and God purifies us uh, through, uh, or we are purified through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then not in this life, but after this life in the age to come, we will then get to see God face to face, even though you know we can't in this life. Uh, Job puts it this way in 19, uh, Job 19, 25 to 26. He says, for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. Hmm. Not in this life, but in the age to come, we have hope that we will see God. We will dwell with God forever. And that's the hope for those who are pure in heart. Yeah. How do we become pure in heart? By putting our faith in Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Uh, let's move on to uh, verse nine here. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will all be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, uh, Isaiah nine, six in reference to the coming of Jesus says this for to us, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So I think, you know, it would be, I think we'd be foolish to not see that Jesus is in some ways, as he's bringing on the kingdom, as he's inaugurating the kingdom, he is using a description of himself to then say, this is what our community looks like. Peacemakers. I came, he says later, I came not to bring peace, but a sword, but he is also titled the Prince of Peace. And so uh, in his kingdom, we are, we have a role of making peace and we will then be seen as children of God. Uh, help help make that a little bit clearer. I feel like even as I was saying that, maybe there were some things that were a little confusing, Russell. So if if Jesus is seen as this Prince of Peace, and mm-hmm. yet he says, I came not to bring peace but a sword, how do, we, how do we justify that in our minds? That he didn't come to be, like how do we justify just being a peacemaker? Or No, like more so... Um, Okay, so I'm reading Jesus. I'd see that he is has this title of Prince of Peace, but he tells me that he didn't come to bring peace. How does that make sense? <laughs> it doesn't, Jake. That's what <laughs> uh I didn't come to bring peace, but they say bring peace with a sword, right? Uh-huh. I do think um so in some ways he did. I think in in all honesty, we'd probably have to go and look at that passage to talk about what he's really talking about. But there is a divisiveness to Jesus in this message. There's a divisiveness to what he's talking about here as well that is, uh, that is, if you think about a sword, a sword splits things, it cuts through things. And so there is a divisive nature to what, uh, to what Jesus's message is, the teaching of the good news and the gospel, um, even though the tenets of that thing are peace, mercy, justice, love, uh, along the way as well. Um, I think... Uh, and I think it can be confusing as well. Uh, Eugene says, you're blessed when you show people how to cooperate instead of comp- compete or fight. Uh, that's when you discover you uh, who you really are and your place in God's family. I don't, that's an interesting one to me. Um, but I do, I do get it because um, 
I, I do kind of get the understanding of like, if I understand that I'm called to be a peacemaker, then I will understand my role as a son or daughter uh, of God, that like I have a place in the family of God and it's, uh, it's for the benefit of other people. Um, you could, you could look at it as, as we, we, as, as, as people are very tribal. Um, and so I mean, even in our, we, we have countries that divide the entire, the, the entire world up. And so we're very tribal about, um, about, you know, where we're from and what we're about as well. And so I think in some ways, um, like when I look at the world, uh, as not a competition, when I look at the world, it's me versus us or us versus them. Uh, I can really see like the way that the world was really calling me to. And there was probably a pretty volatile time in, on, on the Galilee and, and see, you know, he's talking to a bunch of farmers, he's talking to a bunch of fishermen, and he is, he's, he, he's, there's probably just a bunch of um, tension with them being uh, led by Rome and desiring to be set free. And so he's really trying to encourage them to, to be a group of people who aren't fighting, but are, are full of peace. Yeah. So there are some things that are starting to come together, I think, for me here that, and I think it's actually the second half of this that actually makes more sense to me, that they will be seen as children of God. If you think about Jesus's audience being, say his audience is primarily Jewish, just, you know, at this time, uh, maybe all Jewish. Um, they were, they thought that they were the children of God, right? Or that's, that's their interpretation, well, right? Yeah. And they, they were called the kid. Yeah. Yes. Certainly. But Jesus doesn't say blessed are the Israelites for they are children of God, right? right. He says, blessed are peacemakers, which I think gives us some indication of him kind of broadening out that that definition of who might become a children of a child of God to some degree. But also you mentioned going back to the context of that idea of like not peace, but a sword. Uh, he says right after that, that he's going to separate man from his father, yeah. a woman from his, her mother. Like, like you were talking about, there's a divisiveness of that, of those who believe in Jesus and those who don't and have, a se- like their minds are separated the way that they view the world becomes separated there's a, there is a divisiveness there and that to me when you see that as not just so he's talking to people who believe that they're they're already children of god but yet they are in eugene's language they are competing and trying to one-up each other like this is his rebukes to the pharisees typically right like you are trying to compete with each other for a greater standing Whereas I'm saying you should sit at the worst seat so that you can be elevated. I want to have peace here. I don't need you quarreling and fighting within each other. The ones who are the children of God, not just you, those are the peacemakers. Those are the ones who lean into, um, make, yeah, making peace. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes a ton of sense, but in my head, that's how I'm seeing it as Jesus is, as he's inaugurating this kingdom is in some ways expanding who gets to be called a child of God. Uh, but also it's a, in some ways a, a, almost a challenge. Like if I'm, say I'm like, I'm a Jewish person hearing this. I'm like, wait, I'm already, I, I am already a child of God. Yeah. What do you mean? What do yeah. you mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. But I do, again, these are like ideas of, um, I, I do like the idea of, you know, when you show, when you show, you show how to cooperate instead of compete and fight. And I do, I think that in general, like if you think about the church, like I think we struggle as human beings to be people of peace. You know, it goes back to showing uh, mercy in some ways. Like we struggle with showing mercies because we're playing, like we're keeping score with our 
with our people. We're trying to win out over people. And in doing so, that can actually cause us to push down other people. And not, you know, I'm not saying don't work hard, don't try hard. I'm not saying that, but, but I am saying there is a level of like, am I, am I a person of peace or am I, am I more of a person of competitiveness? Am I a person of strife and fighting? I see this for myself and maybe not just for me, but for the church in general is like, do I need to be right? Like it, like would I yeah, fight yeah. this out with someone so far to prove my rightness at the risk of creating, like separating us relationally? You know, like, is it more, what's the biggest, what's over the most something important that doesn't thing? matter. Yeah. Over, exactly. Exactly. And so am I a person of peace and that I, I, I remove conflict, I settle conflict, or am I a person more like myself most of the time that creates conflict or that seeks it out? And not to, I mean, look, there's, I've had to wrestle with my own personality and who I am, and I know that God created me in a certain way. Like, there's a goodness to my own quarrelsome and like the way that I am. I'm not saying that if you're someone like me who, um, we make things better right? Like, like there is a value to that, but ultimately at some point there has to be a, Hey brother, Hey sister, I love you. I care for you. This doesn't matter. We don't need to break our relationship because of this, or we don't need to, you know, not just because we don't see eye to eye on this doesn't mean that we're not together in our, our struggle for following Jesus, for moving the kingdom forward, all of those things. Like, we we should at least at some point be able to find common ground and, and make peace among ourselves. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, as you get more and more in to these, it seems like there's more and more conflict. Oh, I, I think so. That. Well, this is just me guessing, so I could be. But like, okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not okay. There's the kingdom of heaven. Cool. God's gonna take care of you if you're poor or suffering. Like, no one's like, uh, there's no tension there like we expect god in some ways as humans like oh, that's god's problem let's wor- let him worry about that oh yeah Blessed are those who mourn they'll be comforted that's really nice i'd like that good news for those who mourn yeah well especially thinking of who he's talking to right like that's the that's kind of the the those two descriptions are something that like the jewish people have held on to right yeah. like that we are oppressed where are where's the god yep. of justice we yep. are mo- yes we're mourning because we've been exiled or we're now we're oppressed again by rome Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now you're starting to get like, oh, really? The meek are going to inherit the earth, not the powerful or the strong. But that's okay. Uh, and then you get blessed are those who hunger thirst for righteousness. They should be satisfied. It's like that one you go, all right, well, it's not. I don't see. I'm not really satisfied right now as I look at the world. It doesn't seem there's a lot of a lot of righteousness out there going on. Certainly. And then you get into merciful. And it's like, oh, no, like they receive mercy. Now i got to change my behavior a little bit. Or I'm, the intention is behavior change. And then it's like blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. It's like wait, I was, I'm not pure in heart to begin with. So now, you know, what needs to change in me? So how, cause I want to see God. Uh, and then you get the peacemakers. They should be, those should be sons of God. And then it's like, so not only do I, I'm not, I don't, I potentially might not see God. Uh, but I also, uh, if I'm questioning some of this stuff, I now might not even be a kid. If I don't see him, I'm not even his kid anymore. Like what's, what's going on. And I think a lot of these are just build, you could say they're building on one another, but they, I think they just take you deeper into, the kingdom because it's saying no like this is a kingdom for the poor this is a kingdom for those who mourn or are suffering who are who, who are meek who are like really desire justice who are merciful who are pure in heart who are peacemakers and when you look at if you give a really big look into the mirror if you will and 
parts of that parts of yourself might might fit this parts of you don't as maybe a first century jewish person sitting on a, on a hill or a plane um i think i think this is the device of nature that jesus is talking about of going all right so i'm either going to dig into what i've know or there's this rabbi named jesus from nazareth who i'm going to really let shape the way i think about the world and really follow him yeah, and I think this last one kind of goes in line with that as well. We continue to build up to the conclusion of these yep. Beatitudes. He says in uh, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So going back to what you were saying about this is this is starting to cost me. It, it, in the beginning, I appreciate that you're saying like... You noticed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for finally acknowledging that my life sucks and that God needs to do something about it. <laughs> but now you're actually asking me to change and you're challenging me to be different and to uh, actually look at my oppressors with mercy or to uh, be meek instead of fighting back or, you know, things like that. And now in verse 10, you're saying that I'm blessed when I'm persecuted. No, no, no. You're supposed to be here to take away my persecution, brother. Right. That's, that's your role as Messiah. If you are this person you claim to be, you're, you're taken over, right? Like I'm not going to be persecuted anymore. That's the point here. Right. And it says, uh, it's uh, you know, if we talk about it being like, it's blessed or good news, like good news for those who are persecuted for right, for the righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I like how, uh, the message says, you know, You'll, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution because the persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And a lot of this is hard if you're listening to it for the first time um, because if you, if you were a Jew listening to it for the first time or uh, listening when Jesus is teaching it because the, the death and resurrection hasn't happened yet. And so what we're not seeing is Jesus is going to model all these things for us. And when we see him being persecuted for righteousness sake it's opening up and and starting like fully completely the the kingdom of god and his death and resurrection as well Mm -hmm. and so and he and himself models being persecuted for us which then takes us deeper into what the kingdom is about like the kingdom of god is there's a future kingdom that we're going to enjoy that has no pain or suffering or tears or crying or mourning any of those things but until jesus does come uh, again, what we do is we are to be his people of peace, pure in heart, seeking God, seeking justice. And in those positions, what it means is oftentimes we're going to show mercy and not receive it from other human beings. We're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness in a world that is injustice. We are going to learn what it means to be meek. We're going to learn what it means to be a peacemaker in a world that is conflicting with one another. And that's that's just a deeper understanding of the kingdom. That's a growing understanding of the kingdom, which often leads to being persecuted. Yeah, absolutely. And Jesus is not just... And not just in, I, in, at least in my interpretation, he's not just describing that, but also like even pro, even about himself, even speaking, like you were saying in the beginning, like how Jesus was the example of this. So in I, Isaiah 53, uh, it says this starting in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. We see that kind of prophecy fulfilled when uh, I think it's Pilate is questioning him and he might give an answer early on, but then eventually he just kind of stops giving, he stops responding. Um, 
pick it back up in verse 8 of Isaiah 53, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. I just I read that and I think about that idea of Jesus being the example of the one who is persecuted because of, because of righteousness, his own righteousness, uh, which challenged the Pharisees and challenged the religious leaders and how they did church the way that they did, you know, following God. And, uh, you know, he says, if, if you follow this example, as difficult as it may be to intentionally put yourself in the way of persecution, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Yep. You're part of the kingdom. Do you think, let me ask you this, kind of a side side rabbit trail or side note here. He says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. My experience here in the United States is not one of persecution, <laughs> necessarily. Like, on a, on a regular basis anyway. You know, I could go to Twitter, or I could go to the right places and find people that don't like Christians. But on a general day-to-day basis, there's not anyone who's aggressively or intentionally persecuting me. At least that's not, that's how I feel. Um, other people might feel differently, but I guess what I'm, my conclusion to that, or my question is should like, I don't think we should seek out persecution per se, unless God calls us to it. But is there, should we be, uh, should we be, I don't think concerned is the right word. Should we question what we're doing if we never receive if we're never persecuted in any way that feels like a weird thing to ask but like it's part of the beatitudes and maybe this is not the point maybe this is jesus is just offering hope for those who are persecuted not so much telling you to seek out persecution like what we've been talking about with the rest of them but i don't know like to me there's a certain degree of like persecution does um maybe clarify my faith in a way what do you think yeah, I don't know if it's the extreme limit of we when one we can't control where we're born. Certainly, you know you're born to your parents. You're born to where you're born. I do think there are probably times when um, we don't speak up. Uh, like that's why I like it says uh, you're blessed when your commitment to Jesus provokes persecution. Like, does your level of commitment to Jesus provoke? not reaction because we're not trying to pull something, but like, have you ever seen negative consequences to you following Jesus? We're not really in a day where we're not going to experience government persecution. I mean, I guess depending on what your political views are, you might say we're experiencing it right now. Maybe we are. Um, Maybe we're not. Um, But you might say, but like, is your, as you follow Jesus, are you known enough to, as a follower of Jesus to where you may experience, like uh, I was at a, I was at a place one time doing a tasting and um, I told someone I was doing, I was, I told someone I was, I was a pastor as we were talking and uh, Cassidy and my mom were there. I think Maisie was even there too. And the person just stopped talking. We were talking for like five or 10 minutes and then li- literally just instantly I said, yeah, I, you know, I'm a pastor at this church. This is when I was at Grace at the time, just turns around right away and just doesn't talk to me the rest of the time. Like, oh, okay, cool. Um, is that persecution? Um I don't think so, but may like, you know what I mean? Um, I, but I, I don't know if it's an all or nothing type of thing. You know what I mean? Like we, but I do think there are times where it's like, are there times in your life where it's an opportunity 
to, for you to show your faithfulness to Jesus and you choose not to. Maybe with family, maybe with friends, maybe with a coworker, maybe with whatever experience it is, maybe abstaining from something, maybe not. And in that you might receive, maybe someone makes fun of you and like these are minor persecutions, but we're not experiencing major oppression currently, I would say. Yeah, I think you have to be like hurt or left out or excluded from something intentionally in order to be persecuted. That would be my view. Anyway. Yeah, but like to maybe if it's, you know, blessed are those who you receive negative uh, consequences to pursuing Jesus. Yeah. I think that does happen in the U.S. Sure. Um, and I think that's maybe the way we need to currently frame it for us. But but also think um, there could be also times where in your life currently where you might are failing to uh, be faithful when you're supposed to be and you're you might be faithful unfaithful to to jesus because of the negative consequences and and jesus is like no it's okay like it's good because you're understanding you're getting it um you know i also think i think not this isn't persecution but this might be taking it to to the next level this uh this basically this willing to to sacrifice the willing to lay down your life you, that's that's not that's not persecution but that's experiencing hardship or trials if you will for the sake of Christ and that's really not built into our culture very much uh we don't measure uh we we don't measure faithfulness always with obedience to what God is calling us to i think we measure faithfulness sometimes in the US uh based on is it safe does it involve a pay increase uh, and is it logical? Is it logical and is it comfortable? Now, those aren't bad things to question. And I, I've taken I've taken jobs for more money and all these different things, and I don't feel like I did something wrong there. Um, but the question is, is like, is God? The better question is, is is this what God's telling you to do? If God is telling you to do it and it's going to cost you something, that is that's a part of the kingdom. It's okay, you're getting it because it's not about it's not about power. It's not about wealth it's not about um it's not about oppression it's about it's about justice it's about his name going forward it's about uh being meek and mild it's it's uh it's about a willingness to give yourself up so that others will see uh the true you know this true messiah the true savior and so i think that's maybe the way i would think about it is if i'm not is is my obedience um if, is my life? Am I not willing to sacrifice something for Christ? Like, or what? Or maybe frame it differently. What? What am I not willing to give up for the for the sake of Jesus? Um, and a part of that could be persecution because people might know and friends might know, uh, and it, some of it could be in a different way. Um, yeah. Are you willing to put yourself in a position to be persecuted? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know you might lose something, and I think some. I think people are. You know. Um, yeah. I think. I, I should clarify. Um, when I say that I don't see, pers- I mean, per- I'm, I'm talking about personally for myself, like my uh, myself uh, in my daily life. That's not to say that there aren't people in America, even in the Midwest, who are experiencing persecution as a believer. Maybe you have uh, a store f- or some kind of shop, and you know it's been attacked or something like that. A riot, you know, something that you know, somebody finds out that, that they're a Christian and does something. I don't know. That's just a made up example. But um, again, not to say that it's not possible or it's not happening. I'm just saying from my own experience, but uh, ultimately I think part of the point that Jesus is making here is that like 
revenge or like justice is not in your hands. Like, because he doesn't say, uh, blessed are those who take revenge for their persecution. Right. It's, you know, it's, you are persecuted for my name's sake. And my example to you when I was persecuted was that I didn't say anything. Like I didn't, I didn't do I didn't have to do anything about it. I didn't take vengeance for myself. I didn't take justice into my own hands. God ultimately is going to do that for us. And to see persecution, not as something that, you know, we need to get an eye for an eye for an eye about, but that we would see it as, look, I can find blessing. I can be blessed. I can find hope even when I am persecuted. Yeah. Because, because I mean, this all goes back to how is this all possible? Well, it's because we the the thing that matters most is God and knowing Him and what following Him, and I think that's a, that's a huge part of it. Is what, it's just a like we see we're seeing God at this point. We're seeing and understanding who God is, and therefore I'm willing to give up you know everything to do that. It's like the man that buys. Uh, that what is he finds a treasure in a field, and what does he do? He goes and and he sells everything he has to go get that that field. It's like, but well, we found the field, we found the treasure, and so it's it's whatever. But you gave up everything, and you give up everything, yeah. <laughs> everything. But I found the treasure, but I found the treasure. <laughs> it feels what? like a back and forth between friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I found the treasure, but you gave up everything. But I found the treasure. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but yeah, the treasure is worth more than everything. Right. So exactly, exactly, yeah. and that's the point. Yep. Uh, Russell, I don't know about you, but I, that feels like a pretty good place to wrap it up today. We've kind of. Uh, We're not doing the last one. Do you want to do the last one? I mean, it kind of goes along with the same. Yeah, it's similar. It's fine. Yeah, let's. Yeah, I think let's, <laughs> let's wrap it up. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Again, if you listen to this before June thirteenth, that's next Tuesday. Uh, we would love to have you out at Hickory Hills Park from six to eight for our churchwide community event night. Uh, there's be food, games, all kinds of fun stuff going on. We'll continue our series over the greatest sermon ever told next week, looking at salt and light, what it means to be that, what the benefits of that are for us and for the world. And we can't wait to uh, dive into that together. So we'll see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Merriam Community Center off Slater Street between Johnson Drive and Shawnee Mission Parkway. We also have five community groups that meet throughout the KC Metro. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or send me an email at jake at missioncitykc.com.